welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Second part of a five-week sermon series called Season of Prayer. We are looking at different prayers in the Bible. In Psalm 51, I want to tell you what we're going to be looking at. This is uh, one of the most powerful prayers in all of Scripture. Now, next Sunday, I'm going to be preaching on the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus actually teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount how to pray. And we need to know what Jesus ha- says about this. And it's a prayer we should be memorizing and being a regularly part of our prayer life. It's a model prayer for us. But today, this prayer here is one that uh, speaks to us because it's about restoration or repentance. In the background information and understanding the context of this prayer, it's wrote by David. David was the second king of Israel, and he had an event occur with a lady named Bathsheba. But leading up to that event that he had this uh, with Bathsheba, God was blessing this man tremendously. In fact, he had just come a couple of chapters before this, and the Lord came to David and says, You know, David, I'm going to make your house great. I'm going to make the house of David an eternal house. Your kingdom will never end. Now, we know eventually it did end after Solomon, and it split after that. Then Nebuchadnezzar put it to end after that. But what he eventually was talking about, the Lord, was not that somebody was from the lineage of David was always physically sitting on the throne. It was fulfilled through Jesus, who came from the lineage of King David. But what happened was David was a very successful king. And he would go out to battle, and he would just win. And Joab was his main military uh, officer, and they would win greatly. It wasn't like UK and Alabama football yesterday, although UK won, Alabama lost. They struggled greatly just to pull a win off. And David didn't have that problem leading up to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Everything he touched seemed to turn to gold. I mean, the Lord's hand was blessing this man mightily. And then one day what happened was it was time to go to war uh, in the springtime, and he decided he was going to stay at home. He didn't want to go out to war. Well, he was in his palace. He looks outside, and he meets, he sees a lady named Bathsheba. He summons for her. He commits adultery to her, sends her home. She gets pregnant. That's not good for him because he's the spiritual leader of Israel, and now he got a woman pregnant who's not his wife. So he then summons for Uriah, who's Bathsheba's husband. He's supposed to go home and spend the night with his wife, but he didn't do that. He even got drunk, and he was so faithful as a drunk man. Remember, of all the people in the Bible, uh, Uriah was the most noble drunk man ever to exist. He slept outside at the king's gate. He wouldn't even go home. So Uriah finds himself um, uh, just not doing what the king wanted him to do, so he takes this piece of paper back to Joab, who's the commander, and it's his death warrant. He says, basically, put Uriah at the most fiercest part, then retreat, allowing him to be killed. So David has Uriah killed. As the Bible says, some other men died as well, some other soldiers. To cover up his sin, David did that. So David commits adultery. Then following that, he commits murder. Well, a few months go by, and then David uh, goes ahead and marries Bathsheba. And then at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 11, after all these events occur, it says the Lord did not approve 
of what David did. What David did was evil, that being commit adultery, and then killing Uriah. So then a man comes and knocks on his door. His name is Nathan. He's the prophet Nathan. He shows up at David's door. This is 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan shows up at the door. David's excited to see him. So he's got a brand new wife named Bathsheba. And Bathsheba is about to have a baby. And Nathan comes to his door and tells a story. It's kind of an odd story. It's like, why would you come to my house to tell me a story? Are you a storyteller? And Nathan's a prophet. So what happens is this story shares about that there was in the kingdom. And so David thinks it's a real story. But it is a real story, but it's about David, not about somebody else in the kingdom. And David doesn't realize that. There was, was in, there's this wealthy man, and he had a lot of sheep. And then there was a poor man, and his family had one little, one little lamb. And the little poor family could barely pay their bills they love their little lamb, and they, they snuggle with their lamb. They have slept with their lamb. They, they love their one little, little animal. And the wealthy man, he had so many animals, he could do anything he wanted. He didn't like animals because he had so many of them. So one day, the wealthy man had some unexpected visitors come to his house, and they needed to provide some food. So the wealthy man decides, I don't want to kill one of my many lambs that I have. Look over at this poor man. He has no resources. He can't do anything to me. So he went and stole the poor man's lamb, and killed it and served to his special guest the food that uh, he needed to prepare for these guests. So he stole their one little lamb. And David's hearing this story, and he starts to get mad. He says, I can't believe this is occurring. Why would such a wealthy man who had everything steal from this poor little man here who had nothing? And David made the statement, man, that, that wealthy man, for what he did and for how much he had, he should die for doing that. That was totally uncalled for. And then the main point of the message, it came, the climax came, when Nathan looks at him and says, David, you are the man. What you did to Uriah, stealing Bathsheba, killing Uriah, stealing his wife, you're the wealthy man. The story was about you. And at that point, when David is confronted with his sin, his next statement, I have sinned against the Lord. I am at fault for this. I am guilty. This is on me. And David repented of his sin, and he wrote Psalm 51. So this psalm we're going to read is from the time when Nathan the prophet confronted David regarding his sin with Bathsheba and killing Uriah. And what this is about, this is a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of restoration. And the main principle, what happens here, I think what we're going to see, if we find ourselves sinning and we have sinned against the Lord, we need to repent of that sin to God. First and foremost, we repent to Him. The Lord is the one who is hurt the most by our sins. You say, why is that, Pastor? He, haven't I been forgiven? I've got a free ticket to heaven. When we are forgiven by the Lord, Jesus' blood covers 
Our sin, that's the one of the words the Bible uses, our sin is covered by the Lord. So we can't lose our salvation. But what's happening when we, when we sin as believers, it's like we're uncovering ourselves and we're exposing our sinfulness to God. And God doesn't want to see that. We're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm re-crucifying you to the cross. Even though I can't lose my salvation because I have eternal security, I am choosing willfully to re-nail. You're having to, you're having to forgive me of this sin, even though I have been forgiven. Sin is dangerous because it hurts God the most. We're telling the Lord, Lord, even though I'm forgiven, even though you have saved me, I'm going to willfully choose to disobey and to sin against you. And that's what David did. Even when he summoned for Bathsheba, the attendant came to him and said, David, her name over there is Bathsheba, and she, by the way, is the wife of Uriah. Just had to include that this is a married woman you're talking about. It wasn't like David didn't know what he was doing. He was fully aware of what he was doing. He was 100% guilty. He has to own his sin. And part of repentance and restoration is when we spiritually get to the point where we say, I'm the one at fault. Uh, And we live in a culture, we live in a world where all we do is blame other people. And it's fun to blame other people because nobody wants to get blamed. So you can uh, blame your mother or father, your upbringing, your job, your spouse, your children, your grand. You just blame others. The environment you live in, you can blame Lexington. Well, you can say this is a wicked town. Whatever you want to say. I'm in college. I mean, anything. But that's not what David does. He recognized this is my problem. This is because of my sinfulness. So that's where we're going to pick up. And there's this, this prayer of restoration, this prayer of repentance, is broken down into three sections. And what we see here is David's confession, the first nine verses. And that's what we're going to read. You're in your Bibles in Psalm 51, verse 1. God's Word says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. That word rebellion, that is what sin does. David is in rebellion with the Lord. This is wicked what David did. He is, it's not against other people. The Lord is the object. He is the one who is hurt. You know, when we think about rebellion, we a lot of times don't think about that in the context of sin, but that's how God views it. You are, you have been saved. And you are choosing to rebel against God. Do y'all remember how the devil came uh, into uh, existence as the evil one? The book of uh, Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28 tells us that an angel, a great angel named Lucifer, led a rebellion against the Lord. It was a rebellion. He's, he's thinking, I want to be like God. I want to do my own thing. I want to live for myself. He led a rebellion against the Lord. That's what sin does. Whenever we sin, we are most like the devil. It's a rebellion. You are in outright uh, against the Lord. 
completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion. Notice David saying, I'm aware of this. I'm fully aware of this rebellion. And my sin is ever before me. Meaning David can't get away from this. The sin is always there. When we confess our sins, we are not going to someone else. Now, the book of James says it is wise for us to confess our sins. But first and foremost, confession begins between us and God. It's ever before us. Meaning God won't let this go away. It, it doesn't just vanish when you have done something wrong. And sometimes, sometimes it's not always wise to confess to other people because that ship has sailed. You won't have an opportunity. In fact, it might even bring up, rehash the story over and over again. But all of us, have a responsibility of confessing, and not a requirement as a believer to confess our sins to God. There's no excuse for that, for us as believers not to do this. And he says, David's saying, I'm conscious of my rebellion. I'm fully aware that I, this is on me. My sin is always before me. Now look at verse 4. This is how we know David understood this. Against you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Lord. Against you. You alone. No, he didn't say it's against Bathsheba. It's against Nathan, the prophet. It's against Uriah. It's against Joab because he didn't make me go out and fight. No, it's you alone, Lord. You are the one whom I have hurt. Against you. You alone. I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. David totally understands what is going on here. He is, he is the one who's guilty. He's not trying to blame anyone else. You are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. David's saying, I deserve judgment. I deserve God's sentence. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. You know, we have in our church family, we have a young lady named Olivia. She's scheduled to have a baby on this coming Thursday, her second child. I teach her first little baby in my Sunday school class, who's now two, and uh, Zaya. But inside the wound, that little baby inside Olivia's wound, for us when we're in the wound, the Bible actually says we are still sinners in the womb. That's what original sin is in the Bible. That means the sin of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden has been passed through all of humanity. That's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin because it was not passed to Jesus because He was born of God. That's why Mary was a virgin. And uh, David is realizing even before I was born, I was, I was guilty. I was sinful. And he, he's not making any excuse for his sin. Look here at verse 6. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. That's what the power of the blood of Jesus does. He washes us, and we're made anew. We're made we're cleansed. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. That means that let the bones you have His sin literally crushed him. It's like the Lord is pressing down on David. And he can't get up. He can't move forward. He's lost his joy. 
I want to tell you what sin does. Sin, all the, you get entrapped and you start getting involved in habitual sin, you will lose your joy to come to church. You don't want to be here at church if you're, you have unconfessed sin. There's no desire. Your number one goal is what David is saying here. My sin is always before me. How can I go into the presence of God? All he's doing is reminding me of what I need to confess. He's pressing down. He's keeping the pressure on David here. He says, the bones you have crushed. Meaning, David, he is, he's, just, he's phenomenally weak. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all of my guilt. Those nine verses there talk about David's confession. And here's the difference. There is a difference for us between an omission of sin and a confession of sin. An omission of sin, and I want to tell you, you can hear it when what people say. If you ever hear somebody say, oh, well, we're all sinners. When someone makes a statement like that, that, that's not personal. You don't own that statement. David's not here saying, well, we're all sinners, Lord. It's just how he uses the word I. When you confess sin, the pronoun should be I and me, my. It should be all about you. No one is not a we. Confession is me, Lord. It's I. I'm the one who needs the Lord. It's not this group think of trying to involve everybody else. The Lord is saying, David, this is about you. And what happens when, when we confess our sin? It's not we're just saying, well, we're all sinners and this is, uh, this is how things are. And I was born this way. David's saying, I have sinned against you and you alone, Lord. I did this evil in your sight. It's individually. You're taking the fault for your actions. That is what um, the difference between biblical confession. It's all about us going strictly to the Lord and not involving anyone else. We are the ones at guilty. You know, this applies when we get saved. Do you know when you get saved? It's not group salvation. Every man, every woman, every boy and girl stands directly in front of the Lord. They give an account for their sin. When you get saved, you are confessing your sins. You are receiving Jesus as your Savior. I can't pray you into heaven. I can't make you get saved. Your parents can't, uh, I, your parents can't get you. You can't ride the coattails of Grandpa into heaven. That's not how people get saved. You confess your sin. Do you know what takes people to hell? It's unforgiven sin. When Christ looks at us, and they see, and He sees someone as a sinner, all He's going to see is someone who's a sinner or someone who's saved. They've been saved by the blood of Jesus. This is why, this is why when Christians sin, it's so dangerous. Because what we're doing is we're re-crucifying Jesus on the cross. We're saying, Jesus, what you did wasn't adequate enough. I'm choosing my own way instead of you. So while the first part of this prayer on repentance is David is confessing his sin to God. This is how we are restored with the Lord. It starts with an individual confession, a personal confession. He is realizing, if I don't repent, God, He won't relent. And if I do repent, He will relent. So that when He says, the bones are being crushed on me, he realizing God's not 
going to let up. My sin is ever before me. It doesn't ever go away. So then what happens when we confess our sins to the Lord? The next step, moving these next four verses we're going to read, David moves to a focus on restoration. And we have to remember, when you confess your sins to the Lord, the Lord will forgive you of your sins. He cleanses you from your sins. And you don't have to keep reconfessing your sins over and over again. He lets you start over again. Now, there are consequences to sin. And not, you can't, not everyone will forgive you. And people will be hurt. And you can't control what other people do. But the Lord will, because of His graciousness, because of His compassion, as this Bible, as this Bible verse passage tells us, He will forgive us. He will give us a clean slate. So what happens for us, we have to realize we will be restored with the Lord. Now, that does not mean we will be restored to everybody else. There are consequences to our sin and our decisions. I mean, there, Adam and Eve were forgiven in the Garden of Eden, but they got driven out of the Garden of Eden. The Lord says, you can't be in the Garden anymore. It's time to go. You're getting the boot. This is no longer your place. I mean, they were forgiven. God offered a sacrifice. He made their clothes. They got received a new son. After uh, Cain killed Abel, I mean, God blessed them, but things were different. And they were forgiven, and they are in heaven. So that's the same thing for us. We have to accept God's restoration. God will restore us when we confess our sins. We don't need to keep going back over and over again and rehashing stuff. When you, claim, when you tell someone you have forgiven them, you need to forgive them. It's not replay and do it over and over again and keep checking on them. Trust, God trust us, and we have to trust others. Look at verse 10. Look at these next four verses. God, create a clean heart for me. He realized he's been forgiven. I now need a clean heart. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. That steadfast spirit David realized his sin had broken his fellowship with God. And he had lost that joy. He needed a new steadfast spirit, meaning I need the Lord again. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. David did not want to lose his closeness, his intimacy with God. He said, Lord, I don't want to lose my, my, my relationship with you. I don't want you to abandon me don't leave me lord restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit then i will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you notice that verse 13 there it says i will teach the rebellious your ways david is accepting this restoration from the lord i want to tell you what happens when you have been restored and forgiven by the Lord, the Lord will actually use what you went through to teach other people. Let me illustrate this. Let's just say you struggled with addiction. Some point in your life, you had an addiction problem. And there's lots of different types of addiction. And you wrestled with that years, maybe even decades, you might be struggling with it now. But God set you free. People were praying for you. You got in God's Word. You began uh, having accountability. You began seeking help. You had uh, just uh, people laying hands on you, and you were freed from your addiction. 
Now, you've been set free from that. And then you come to church. You go to youth group. You go to a Bible study Wednesday night or Sunday school class, and you hear about someone else who's struggling with addiction. You can relate to them. You can be empathetic towards them. You have gone through that. David is saying, I know what it's like to be rebellious. I know what it's like to go commit adultery and then kill someone. He's, a, he's got blood on his hands. I know what it's like to steal another man's wife. He's been there. And he then has gone through that. He's been forgiven of it. And now he can minister and teach others about what, why they shouldn't do that. God will use your rebellion, your addiction, your sin, so you can teach others and help them. That's what David's talking about. And I want to tell you, if you've gone through, maybe the Lord brought you through something like addiction, you know, in your case, you will likely be able to help someone more so than me. May I haven't struggled with that. And that's something you're able to say, I have gone through this journey, I have received divine healing from the Lord, and I can minister to others who are going through this. So that's how God takes whatever tragedy, whatever sin you have committed, you have been forgiven of, and then you're going to use it and return and teach other people. Everything that happens to you in your life, God takes and turns it around and uses it for His purpose. And now when you're in the midst of that storm and you are in the midst of your bones being crushed and you feel like the Lord is pressing you down, you will not see that whatsoever at all. You are in total rebellion. And the only solution at that point is confession. Saying, Lord, I confess my sin. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Lord, I have sinned. I'm done making excuses. I can't live this way anymore. I want the joy of my salvation to be restored. If you're, if you're in sin, you will have no desire to go to church. You will have no joy. You will come to church and you'll get nothing out of this. Just go over your head. Play on your phone. So what happens here is this parts of this prayer. We see David's confession. David confesses his sin. The main point of that is he makes it personal. He owns his sin. He doesn't blame anybody else. The second part is we see the restoration how God picks him up and He renews His steadfast spirit. He gets the joy of His salvation again. And then He realizes in that restoration, He's then going to be able to teach other people about what they may be going through. The Lord can use Him in showing them, hey, I've gone through this too. I can, I can pray with you and help redirect you. Then we get to this last section here, and this is about David's presentation. Say, like, what presentation? David wants to go back to church and worship again. David, remember that story Jesus told? And he says, if your brother has sinned against you, before you come to church and drop your money in the offering plate and bring your offering, you need to first, or if you've sinned against your brother, whichever way, you need to go ask forgiveness to your brother. You need to go deal with that sin problem, and then you come and bring your offering. Because you are going to church and your heart isn't right. You need to first get right with God and then you come and present yourself. David is ready now to make his presentation. He wants to go back. Remember, David is the spiritual leader. Back in Bible times, the king of Israel, not only was he a military leader, he was also a spiritual leader. 
And he, all, he lacked at this point what he had did. The Lord said that he, what he did was evil in the Lord's sight. He's got the prophet standing on his front porch of the same building that just a few months earlier he was uh, sending to go get Bathsheba. And now same door that they walked through. Nathan's standing right there saying, you're the man. You are guilty before the Lord. Look here at these last few verses. Verse 14. Now it's going to shift because David wants to present himself now before the Lord, his offering. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips. And my mouth will declare your praise. You know, one of the great things about God, he was, or about David, he was a songwriter. He wrote many of these songs. We're even up here singing. You can see the Scripture come out of the praise songs we sing. David wants to be able to open his mouth. He wants to be able to sing again and make sure the Lord receives that worship. You do not want to sacrifice or I would give it. He's now going to talk about a different type of sacrifice. God doesn't at this point want a bull. He doesn't want a lamb. He wants our hearts. He wants your heart. The sacrifice we give is a pure heart. He's saying, Lord, you don't want a sacrifice or I will give it. You are not pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. God, He's saying, Lord, I want to present myself to You. After I have confessed my sin, after I have been restored of my sin, You've picked me up and You've wiped me clean. I don't need to keep rehashing this over and over again. I am now ready to present myself with a pure heart, a humble heart, a contrite heart before You, Lord. That's what David is saying. So for, for us, spiritually, we need to look at our hearts and say, God, have I, have I, when I come into Your presence, do I think this way? Am I giving myself, am I presenting myself as a broken spirit? Last two verses here. In your good pleasure, call Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. That's where it is. And David's in Jerusalem. That's where his, uh, his kingdom was, the capital. Calls Zion to prosper. Meaning, I don't want the consequences of my sin and my rebellion to affect all of these other people. David was aware, if I don't repent, if I don't turn back to God, all these people will suffer because of my sin. And you think about that in your own life. If you fail to repent, if you are, are involved in doing things, it's not just you that suffer, it's your whole family. It's your church family. I mean, you think about the consequences. You know, the, one of the great quotes, and I put it in your Bible, this, this gentleman is now with, with in heaven. His name's Adrian Rogers. I listen to his sermons regularly. He says, sin, it takes us farther then we wanted to go. It always does. You just think you're going this far and you end up going all the way down here and go, whoa, I didn't know about that. That's what sin does. And it keeps us longer than we wanted to stay. You thought it was just going to be a quickie and it's not a quickie. It goes a lot longer and then it lingers. That's what sin does. It takes us farther than we wanted to go and keeps us longer than we wanted to stay. David did not want his city, his country, to be impacted by his sin. He wanted his, his country, Zion, Jerusalem, Israel, to continue prospering. 
And he says, build the walls of Jerusalem. The walls around David's life had collapsed. And on the, on the outside, the walls of Jerusalem were strong. But David knew if the king, if he started collapsing spiritually, then the rest of the city would then collapse as a city. It, you know, the moral decay he knew was going to come. And he's asking the Lord, Lord, I want to present myself before you. Don't let this sin that I have committed, that I have done wrong, just affect everybody else in the kingdom. He's asking the God for that, that presentation, for Him to stop it. Then you will delight, verse 19, in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Meaning, there's going to come a day that David's going to be able to walk back into that temple with a clean heart, with a steadfast heart, with clean hands, and re-offer bulls on the altar. Because he didn't feel like it today. He's going to present himself again before the Lord. So what do we see in this passage here? David moved in his whole story with Bathsheba. He moved from two, basically, two different questions. He said, when he was committing the sin with Bathsheba and then the murder of Uriah, he kept asking himself, how do I cover up my sin? That's, that's what people do when they're involved in things. They want to hide their sin. But the problem is you're not hiding it from God. That is someone who's trying to hide something. And then, the next question he moves up when he gets to Psalm 51, he goes from, how do I cover up my sin to God? How could I do this? How could I do this, God? I was once hiding my sin, and I just I can't believe I did this. Who am I? This isn't even the person I am anymore. I have changed so much. I can't believe it. Lord, I am a sinner. Lord, only you can restore me. And then that question, how can I how how did I do this, God? How could I do this, God? That's all of a sudden you're looking inside your heart. And saying, Lord, this, this was because of me. It's because of my sin. And I think what we want to take in this principle for us, and how God applies this in the season of prayer, it is going to be hard for you to be close to the Lord. Hard for you to have a close walk with Jesus Christ if you have unconfessed sin in your life. That passage there, where it says, where the Lord, He will keep your... He can, let the bones you have crushed. Meaning, God wanted, until David confessed his sin he was holding him down he was crushed and the only way for him to be restored was through confession and our our first step if you have unconfessed sin god is speaking to you this afternoon saying you need to confess your sins to the lord you turn to the lord and he forgives you he restores you and then you are ready to represent yourself before the Lord. And I want to encourage you, if that is you this morning, you need to go straight to God and say, Lord, against you, you alone, I have sinned. There's no blame. Never did David make an excuse. He owned his sin. We take ownership of our sin. And I want to tell you, one of the things, what happened, and last thing I'll say, when David told Nathan, the prophet, on his front, front porch, he says, 
I, when he, he told him the story, then David looked at him and says, you're the man. And David looked at him and said, uh, I have sinned. And then the next words out of David or Nathan the prophet's mouth, he says, because you have uh, confessed your sin, you will not die. I believe if David didn't confess his sin right there, if he just would have blew this off and made some excuse and gave some flimsy answer, God likely would have just killed David. He just would have dropped dead right there. He was the most blessed man on earth. He had anything he wanted. God had been so gracious to this man. And if he wasn't going to confess his sin, that was going to be it for David. He's going to go ahead and bring him home. Bring him home to heaven. And David wasn't losing his salvation. <coughs> when we as believers, when we sin, we don't lose our salvation. Now, God allows consequences for our sin. And He will press our bones down and we will be stuck. We will lose the joy of your salvation. But you don't lose your salvation. God might bring you home. Take you to heaven. But God... Had David was presented with this opportunity. You're going to confess your sin or you're going to die. And David did not die because he confessed his sin. And for us this morning, we want to be able to say, Lord, I need to confess my sin. I need to accept your restoration. And then after I've been restored, you've put a steadfast spirit and a new heart inside of me. I'm going to represent. I'm going to present myself to your altar again. I'm going to come back and worship you and accept that I've been cleansed, accept the consequences, and we take ownership of what you've done. And folks, if that is you, you need to you do it to this afternoon, or you do it when you get home, you do it next week. You need to at some point get alone with the Lord and say, Lord, I am guilty. This is because of my sin and what I have done. I want to invite our band to come forward at this time. Danielle Beecher, y'all come forward. Ryan? We're going to have our invitation. We close every single worship service with an opportunity to respond to God. Now, a service like this might be somewhat awkward to walk down forward and confess your sins. But we confess our sins to get saved. And if you've never gotten saved, you need to come forward and say, I want to get saved this morning. That's the first confession is to get saved. Make sure all of our sins have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you, have, if you are a saved believer and you have unrepentant sin in your life, you need to go, that's between you and the Lord, and you need to take that to God, and you say, Lord, just like David, I have sinned against you and you alone. It's my fault. This is our time to respond. We examine our hearts. This wonderful prayer in the Bible, we were allowed to see into this King David's heart how he turned to the Lord, and the Lord forgave him. And He does the same for us. So I'm going to invite us all to stand up. If you want to get saved, you want to join our church, you want to make a decision. Zach Bauer is going to be standing right here. I stand right here. Now is our time to respond to the Lord.